Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Friday, July 7th. I want to draw your attention to a pick on the navigation menu on the Daily Audio Torah website. It is found under Our Projects and Partners. Select Torah House Global Prayer Network. This is a call to believers throughout the nations everywhere to take a place on the wall of prayer and to raise up a standard against the rising tide of evil and lawlessness that we see in our nations and in our culture. Let me share with you from their vision statement. The Torah House is an imaginary space where we meet each Arab Shabbat, Friday night, at 9 p.m. We all pray from our own location and in our own time zone. Together, we will enter into the virtual Torah House every Arab Shabbat at 9 p.m. your local time. His set-apart people will meet with Yeshua in His Torah House. Community prayer is of tremendous value because as we pray of one heart, mind, and purpose, great power is released in the heavens. We begin our prayer time with a great shofar blast and enter Yahavah's courts with praise. We come against the relentless tide of evil that is swallowing up the nations. We ask our Father to establish His Torah in our city, our region, and our nation. Each month, there is a featured prayer theme for the month, so that together we can focus our prayers on the prayer theme for that month. Go to thetorahouse.com to see the prayer theme for this month. To learn more or to sign up to become a member, a partner, or a coordinator, go to thetorahouse.com and find out more. Join with others throughout the nations every Friday night at 9 p.m. your local time as together we raise up a symphony of prayer to Abba Father in seeking His face and crying out to Him for the remnant to return to the God of Israel and to His great and glorious Torah. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Pinchas. Numbers 29, 1-20 Now in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall also have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It will be to you a day for blowing trumpets. You shall offer a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord, one bull, one ram, and seven male lambs, one year old, without defect. Also, their grain offering, 
fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Offer one male goat for a sin offering to make an atonement for you. Besides the burnt offering of the new moon, and its grain offering, and the continual burnt offering, and its grain offering, and their drink offerings according to their ordinance for a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. Then on the tenth day of this seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall humble yourselves. You shall do no work. You shall present a burnt offering to the Lord as a soothing aroma, one bull, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old, having them without defect, and their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the one ram, a tenth for each of the seven lambs, one male goat for a sin offering, besides the sin offering of atonement, and the continual burnt offering and its grain offering and their drink offerings. Then, on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work, and you shall observe a feast to the Lord for seven days. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering by fire as a soothing aroma to the Lord, thirteen bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old, which are without defect, and their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each of the thirteen bulls, two-tenths for each of the two rams, and a tenth for each of the fourteen lambs, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Then, on the second day, twelve bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering and its grain offering and their drink offerings. Then on the third day, eleven bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance. First Chronicles 4, 5 to 5, 17. Asher, the father of Tekoa, had two wives named Hila and Nara. Nara gave birth to Ahuzam, Hefer, Temeni, and Hashhatari. Hila gave birth to Zerath, Izhar, Ethnon, and Koz, who became the ancestor of Anub, Zobiba, and all the families of Aharhel, son of Harum. There was a man named Jabez, who was more honorable than any of his brothers. His mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. 
please be with me in all that I do, and keep me from all trouble and pain. And God granted him his request. Caleb, the brother of Shuha, was the father of Mehir. Mehir was the father of Eshton. Eshton was the father of Beth Rapha, Pasia, Tahina. Tahina was the father of Ur Nahash. These were the descendants of Rekha. The sons of Kenaz were Othniel and Sariah. Othniel's sons were Hathath and Menothai. Menothai was the father of Oprah. Sariah was the father of Joab, the founder of the Valley of Craftsmen, so called because they were craftsmen. The sons of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, were Eru, Ella, and Naim. The son of Elah was Kenaz. The sons of Jehalel were Ziph, Zipha, Tereah, and Aserel. The sons of Ezra were Jether, Mered, Epher, and Jalon. One of Mered's wives became the mother of Miriam, Shemei, and Ishba, the father of Eshtemoah. He married a woman from Judah who became the mother of Jared, the father of Gedor, Heber, the father of Soko, and Jekothiel, the father of Zanoah. Mered also married Bithiah, a daughter of Pharaoh, and she bore him children. Hodiah's wife was the sister of Nahum. One of her sons was the father of Kelah, the Garmite, and another was the father of Eshtemoah, the Mikathite. The sons of Shimon were Amnon, Rimnah, Ben-Hanan, and Tylon. The descendants of Ishi were Zoheth and Ben-Zoheth. Shelah was one of Judah's sons. The descendants of Shelah were Ur, the father of Lekah, Leda, the father of Merishah, the families of linen workers at Beth Ashbiah, Jochem, the men of Kazeba, and Joash, and Seraph, who ruled over Moab, and Joshua Lethem. These names are all come from ancient records. They were the pottery makers who lived in Netaim and Gadara. They lived there and worked for the king. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Jerob, Zohar, and Shaul. The descendants of Shaul were Shalom, Mibsam, and Mishma. The descendants of Mishma were Hamuel, Zachar, and Shimei. Shimei had sixteen sons and six daughters, but none of his brothers had large families, so Simeon's tribe never grew as large as the tribe of Judah. They lived in Beersheba, Moladah, Hazar Shaul, Bilhah, Ezem, Tolad, Bethuel, Horma, Ziglag, Beth Markaboth, Harzar Susim, Beth Biri, and Shariim. These towns were under their control until the time of King David. Their descendants also lived in Etam, Ain, Rimen, Token, and Ashan, five towns and their surrounding villages as far away as Baalith. This was their territory, and these names are listed in their genealogical records. Other descendants of Simeon included Meshobab, Jamlech, Josha, son of Amaziah, Joel, Jehu, son of Joshabiah, son of Sariah, son of Asiel, Elonai, Jacobah, 
Jeshohai, Asiah, Adiel, Jesimiel, Benaiah, and Ziza, son of Shiphi, son of Alon, son of Jediah, son of Shimri, son of Shemaiah. These were the names of some of the leaders of Simeon's wealthy clans. Their families grew, and they traveled to the region of Gerar in the east part of the valley, seeking pasture land for their flocks. They found lust pastures there, and the land was spacious, quiet, and peaceful. Some of Ham's descendants had been living in that region, but during the reign of King Hezekiah of Judah, these leaders of Simeon invaded the region and completely destroyed the homes of the descendants of Ham and of the Menuhites. No trace of them remains today. They killed everyone who lived there and took the land for themselves because they wanted its good pasture land for their flocks. Five hundred of these invaders from the tribe of Simeon went to Mount Seir, led by Pelatiah, Neriah, Raphiah, and Uziel, all sons of Ishi. They destroyed the few Amalekites who had survived, and they have lived there ever since. The oldest son of Israel was Reuben, but since he dishonored his father by sleeping with one of his father's concubines, his birthright was given to the sons of his brother Joseph. For this reason, Reuben is not listed in the genealogical records as the firstborn son. The descendants of Judah became the most powerful tribe and provided a ruler for the nation. But the birthright belonged to Joseph. The sons of Reuben, the oldest son of Israel, were Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The descendants of Joel were Shemaiah, Gog, Shimei, Micah, Rhea, Baal, and Bera. Bera was the leader of the Reubenites when they were taken into captivity by King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria. Bera's relatives are listed in their genealogical records by their clans. Jael, the leader, Zechariah, and Bela, son of Azaz, son of Shema, son of Joel. The Reubenites lived in the area that stretches from Aror to Nebo and Baal-Meon, and since they had so many livestock in the land of Gilead, they spread east toward the edge of the desert that stretches to the Euphrates River. During the reign of Saul, the Reubenites defeated the Hagrites in battle. Then they moved into the Hagrite settlements all along the eastern edge of Gilead. Next to the Reubenites, the descendants of Gad lived in the land of Bashan, as far east as Salakah. Joel was the leader in the land of Bashan, and Shapham was second in command, followed by Janai and Shaphat. Their relatives, the leaders of seven other clans, were Michael, Meshulam, Sheba, Jorai, Jachan, Zia, and Eber. These were all descendants of Abihail, son of Huri, son of Jeroah, son of Gilead, son of Michael, son of Jeshashai, son of Jado, son of Booz. Ahai, son of Abdiel, son of Gunai, was the leader of their clans. The Gadites lived in the land of Gilead in Bashan and its villages and throughout all the pasture lands 
of Sharon. All of these were listed in the genealogical records during the days of King Jotham of Judah and King Jeroboam of Israel. Acts 25, 1-27 Three days after Festus arrived in Caesarea to take over his new responsibilities, he left for Jerusalem, where the leading priests and other Jewish leaders met with him and made their accusations against Paul. They asked Festus as a favor to transfer Paul to Jerusalem, planning to ambush and kill him on the way. But Festus replied that Paul was at Caesarea and he himself would be returning there soon. So he said, Those of you in authority can return with me. If Paul has done anything wrong, you can make your accusations. About eight or ten days later, Festus returned to Caesarea. And on the following day he took his seat in court and ordered that Paul be brought in. When Paul arrived, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations they couldn't prove. Paul denied the charges. I am not guilty of any crime against the Jewish laws or the temple or the Roman government, he said. Then Festus, wanting to please the Jews, asked him, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? But Paul replied, No, this is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well I am not guilty of harming the Jews. If I have done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I am innocent, no one has a right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Festus conferred with his advisors and then replied, Very well, you have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa arrived with his sister Bernice to pay their respects to Festus. During their stay of several days, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. There is a prisoner here, he told him, whose case was left for me by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the leading priests and Jewish elders pressed charges against him and asked me to condemn him. I pointed out to them that Roman law does not convict people without a trial. They must be given an opportunity to confront their accusers and defend themselves. When his accusers came here for the trial, I didn't delay. I called the case the very next day and ordered Paul brought in. But the accusations made against him weren't any of the crimes I expected. Instead, it was something about their religion and a dead man named Jesus, who Paul insists is alive. I was at a loss to know how to investigate these things, so I asked him whether he would be willing to stand trial on these charges in Jerusalem. But Paul appealed to have his case decided by the emperor, so I ordered that he be held in custody until I could arrange to send him to Caesar. I would like to hear the man myself, Agrippa said. And Festus replied, You will, tomorrow. So the next day Agrippa and Bernice arrived at the auditorium with great pomp, accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are here, 
This is the man whose death is demanded by all the Jews, both here and in Jerusalem. But in my opinion, he has done nothing deserving death. However, since he appealed his case to the emperor, I have decided to send him to Rome. But what shall I write the emperor? For there is no clear charge against him. So I have brought him before all of you, and especially you, King Agrippa, so that after we examine him I might have something to write. For it makes no sense to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying the charges against him. Psalm 5, 1-12 O Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my requests to you and wait expectantly. O God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. Therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence. For you hate all who do evil. You will destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. Lead me in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. My enemies cannot speak a truthful word. Their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with flattery. O God, declare them guilty. Let them be caught in their own traps. Drive them away because of their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them, that all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Yahweh. You surround them with your shield of love. Proverbs 18:19. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. I want to speak to you today out of 1 Chronicles chapter 5, and then we're going to jump into Psalm 5. And there's actually just a particular verse that I want to unpack for you in 1 Chronicles chapter 5. And um, we'll just start with verse 1. The oldest son of Israel was Reuben, but since he dishonored his father by sleeping with one of his father's concubines, his birthright was given to the sons of his brother Joseph. For this reason, Reuben is not listed in the genealogical records as the firstborn son. Verse 2. The descendants of Judah became the most powerful tribe and provided a ruler for the nation, but the birthright belonged to Joseph. Now I just want to unpack that for you a bit. And going back to the time at Mount Sinai, when 
Moses came down from the mountain, and he found that the Israelites were worshipping the golden calf. Prior to that time, there was something called the Melchizedek priesthood. And the Melchizedek priesthood, basically, it had three things all rolled into one. It had kingship, priest, and birthright blessing, all rolled into one. And this Melchizedek priesthood um, blessing was something that was to go to the firstborn son of each family. But because of the golden calf sin, as you recall, Moses had all of the Levites line up with him. And they went through the the camp and they put to the sword all those who had been part of the golden calf sin of idolatry, worshiping false gods. And so this Melchizedek priesthood of three aspects to it was divided up. And so remember that the Melchizedek priesthood had kingship, priest, and birthright blessing all rolled up as one. It went to the oldest son. But after the sin of the golden calf, it got divided so that the kingship role went through the tribe of Judah. And as you know, Yeshua is of the tribe of Judah, and he was the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He is the king of all nations. The priesthood, instead of it going to the oldest son in each family, went to the Levites, the Levitical priesthood. And finally, the birthright blessing went to Joseph. And so this is how it all got divided up because of this sin of the golden calf. Now, when Yeshua comes on the scene hundreds of years later, he's going to restore the Melchizedek priesthood role and function, because up until that time, the Levitical priesthood has taken up this role of priesthood. But of course, throughout history, the Levitical priesthood messed it up. And they got into idolatry, they got into false worship of gods, uh, they became very corrupt. And, and so the Melchizedek priesthood really did need to be restored. And remember, the Melchizedek priesthood includes kingship, priest, and birthright. So each and every one of us, when we are truly born again, and we've asked Yeshua into our heart, and we have made him the Lord of our life, we are now a part of that Melchizedek priesthood that has been restored. So. That's what I wanted to share out of that verse from First Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Finally, I want to unpack a verse for you from Psalm 5, verse 12. Well, I'll start with verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them that all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Yahweh. You surround them with your shield of love. 
So I had something happen a few days ago that is a wonderful example of how the Lord surrounds us with his shield of love. So I'm single and I'm I'm an empty nester and I live in a 16-foot travel trailer full-time and I travel and I pull the trailer with my truck and I stay in the Thousand Trails parks and there's lots of them throughout all of the U.S. and currently I am in the state of Oregon along the coast and so a couple of days ago I'm coming into the campground and I spot the campsite that I want to back my trailer up into. And so I position the truck so that I can back up the trailer into this campsite. And there's somebody behind me who's in a hurry. So I put the truck into park and I go out and I speak to him and I say, hey, I'm backing up. Would you please just go around me? So he went around me and I came back to the truck. The engine was left running and I tried to shift gears into reverse and the transmission did not work at all. It it just would not shift gears. It was like super, super, super loose and it would not engage into any gear. So there I am stuck in the road. And there's all these rigs coming by that want to turn. It's on the corner. They're turning right and they need to get around me. And there's my truck with my trailer right there in the road. They have to get around me. And I start to panic. I do have AAA towing service. So I called them and said, I need help. I'm stuck. Well, out of nowhere comes a, uh, a fellow who begins to direct traffic and direct the rigs to go around me. And he's just this good Samaritan who came out of nowhere. And, and so the AAA guy comes and he takes a look underneath the engine, gets down on the ground and looks and, and he kind of Jimmy rigs it. And all of a sudden the transmission works. It's a very temporary fix, but good enough so that I can at least shift gears into reverse and back the trailer up off the road and into the campsite. Now, the breakdown happened 10 feet away from my campsite. It could have happened at the gate where you check in. It could have happened five miles away. It could have happened 50 miles away on the freeway. It happened 10 feet away from the campsite. So I shifted gears into reverse and was able to get start backing the trailer up. And then it stopped working again. So the AAA guy you know, got down underneath the truck two more times and did this jimmy rigging temporary fix. I guess the 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 knob to some kind of a long tube of the transmission part, uh, the plastic inside of this knob broke. So so he fixed it enough so that I was able to get the trailer and the truck off the road, backed up into the campsite but the transmission part still needed to be fixed. So then this fellow, the Good Samaritan, says, hey, my buddy, I work with him, and he is a certified licensed mechanic, and he's a traveling mechanic, and he's very, very good with fixing trucks and trailers. Um, you you want to talk to him, and maybe he can just come and, and repair your truck right here in your campsite. So he got on the phone with them, 
and put them on the phone and I spoke with them and I said, well, I can either have my truck towed to the local shop, mechanic shop in town, or maybe you could come and, and fix it right here on site. And so I told him what the issue was and and then the AAA guy got on the phone with him and explained, oh, I know exactly the part you need. This is the part you need. It was some kind of a, a knob with the long tube. I don't even know the name of the part that has something to do with your transmission. So this fellow, Isaac, the mechanic, he said, yeah, I can fix it and I can order the part and we'll have it tomorrow. So we left the truck at the campsite and the next day he came with the part. It was a $113 part. And and then he got up underneath the truck and jacked it up and he had all the tools and everything. And he took a look and he said, you know, you don't need the entire part replaced with the tubing. It's just this little plastic casing here in the in the, the knob. That's all. The, the plastic casing wore down and, and we can just go and return this expensive part and just go get this plastic casing. And they had it at the local parts store right here in town. So he returned the $113 part that was not needed and just went and got the plastic casing that was only $10 and replaced that. And so I, I'm just amazed. It was, it, it was just incredible how the Lord was there that the trailer and the truck, the transmission broke down 10 feet away from my campsite. The Lord raised up a good Samaritan to direct the traffic. And this good Samaritan was connected to a licensed certified mechanic who then came to my campsite and fixed it on site. And I didn't have to have it towed into town to a shop. And he was an honest mechanic and said, oh, you don't need this expensive part. All you need is just the little plastic casing. and. I'm just amazed at how the Lord surrounded me with his shield of love. Truly, he is my husband, and he takes care of me, and he watches my back, and he's there for me. And so I just wanted to share that testimony with you to encourage you, especially for any of you who may be listening who are single. And to, to know and understand that the Lord is your husband and he is your shield of love and that he's there for you in the small things and in the big things. Trust in him. Cling to him. He loves you so much. Have a blessed day. Shalom. Yevrekka Adonai Vish Merekka Yeah Adonai Vikuneka Isa Adonai Anav Ileka Vayasem 
The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers Chapter 6, 24-26 Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.